Train Shuffling is brought to you by Midgard Hobbies and Games, our friendly local game store. Next, we'd like to thank Luxury Playstyle, maker of fine metal gaming accessories. Visit LuxPlay.com and use promo code LUXINFORMANT for 15% off. Next, we'd like to thank our wonderful patrons for your support. Your contributions help improve our live streams and bring you better content. If you'd like to buy a few shares of Train Shuffling, you can do so by visiting Patreon.com slash MeekInformant. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Eric, and I'm here with my good friend, Johnny. Johnny, hi. Hey. How's it going? It's going great. We have some guests with us tonight. We have Eric Brocious. Hi. And we have Avery Bailey. How are you doing, Avery? I'm doing well. The Chiefs just won, uh, so I'm doing great. Oh, that's horrible news. Oh, sports things. Did they score a, a home touch? Yes, lots of home touches. <laughs> <laughs> I do know more about sports than that, but I love to pretend that I don't. Um, <laughs> we are not here to talk about sports tonight. All right, let's get back on topic. Uh, Dark Souls. <laughs> Welcome to our Dark Souls special. Johnny and I have been playing a lot of Dark Souls lately. I actually haven't been playing for the last few days because I'm letting you catch up. But that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. We're here to talk about a fantastic train game called 1846. Yeah, but before we do, uh, we're not going to go through our normal show structure, but I did want to just do a quick news thing because 18 mag Zorg, I don't know how you say it. Majorzog. I knew Eric was going to know how to say that. Uh, so 18 mag by Lonnie Orgler just launched on Kickstarter yesterday. That's December 20th for those not listening today. And it's just been funded. It's got about 320 backers, $26,000 raised, and it ends in 28 days on January 17th. So if you want to check it out, Go check it out. It's uh, super different. Very different, yes. Permanent miners, majors that you can buy shares, but they don't run. There's all sorts of crazy stuff happening. All trains are available from the beginning, and they never rust. Yeah. Yeah, man, I've seen so much backlash. People going like, what do you mean trains don't rush? I hate this game. And like, you've never played it. (laughs) You basically are investing in what actions you think players will invest their what you think players will do most because you can, the companies that you're investing in are the companies that provide the trains. So one company provides like the two and the, and the four trains or something. And the other provides yeah. three and six. So anytime somebody buys it, that company gets the money and the shareholders get to split the profits and same thing for uh, um, terrain. One of the companies gets the money for terrain. Another company gets the money for, Running out. red off boards, uh, right. coal coal company. There's well, there's all sorts of crazy stuff that yeah. you you they provide services. Right. So you. you're investing in which services and and goods you think players will spend their money on, essentially. Yep. So it's very different. Is it fun? I don't know. Wait, Johnny and I have played like two ORs worth uh, via like play by picture with Lonnie himself actually, uh, but. I don't know. It's it's a tough format to plan. We basically tell Lonnie what he what our moves are, and then he goes and updates like a PNG file in Paint or something. And then, like a couple weeks later, he'll email the thing. The really hard to play <laughs> in that format. So it's been Eric's uh, turn for fifteen days. Oh really? Oh shit! I didn't know it's my turn. <laughs> I wonder if we can finish it before the game comes out. Um, <laughs> probably not. Let's um. Let's well let's table that for future future discussion and yeah. uh, 
Let's get on to 1846. So why, uh, for astute listeners of the podcast and general people who are aware of 1846 online will we'll be familiar with Eric. He's been on our podcast before. He uh, He's a very experienced 1846 player. Uh, what's your play count at, Eric, now? I think it's 318. That's a pretty respectable number. And uh, 56 times in 2020. Nice. That's, uh, that's a good chunk of that. Yeah, it's more than once a week. Yeah. Wow. Um, and... Maybe lesser known, I'd, I'd say, is our other guest, Avery. Avery, uh, when is the first time you played 1846? Uh, I played 1846 probably close to three years ago for the first time. Uh, but up until the uh, advent of um, 18xx.games, I had only played probably close to 50 times. And now you right. play four times a day? Um, four... <laughs> Two months, I played uh, up to three times a day. Um, I, was, I was trying to get 100 games in in September, only got to 87. So then I tried it again in October, and I think I only got to 84. Yeah. And these are all 1846? Yeah, just 1846. That was before they put 17 on. Okay, which you're also a big fan of, yes. Yes. And now, uh, um, so- now I play daily games with uh, the same guy every single day of just two-player 1846, which is a, a whole different puzzle on its own. I thought you were going to say daily 1817. <laughs> oh, I wish. <laughs> I have a job. Um, so, so since we have to compare uh, for some reason, what, what's your what's your play count at now with that? Uh, somewhere around 375-ish. Cool. So this is very exciting for us because... So not I, including um, two-player, of course. Johnny, not, do you know two-player? Yeah, not, no, that's a different thing. plugged in upstairs. I don't count two player. That's oh, because it's a variant. Oh, okay. All right. That's interesting. Um, so I'm I'm somewhere in the realm of 25 plays now. I think. Um, uh, once we button up the 1846 tournament, which is going on, I'll be you know high high 20s. Um, and Johnny, somewhere um, about a dozen or so. Right. Like under 15. So extremely green compared to yeah. these two monstrosities of. Monstrous. That's a terrible. That's an insulting word. I mean, uh, <laughs> monsters of of strategy. Uh, it's like Chicago form. Bears, the monsters of the midway. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we wanted to have you guys on because it seemed like a really good time. There's a there's a there's a tournament going on right now for for those who are unaware, um, run by this guy named Dan, I think, um, Daniel Sousa, uh, who has a website. 18xx.danielsousa.me. And we'll put a link in the show notes to this. Um, he's got a website. He's on season two right now of 1846's tournament where he has uh, up to f- now five divisions, each division having uh, more and more groups in it as you go down the ladder. So first division has only one group. Second has two, third has four, fourth has eight. Oh, it looks like it. No, and then fifth has one, two, uh, A through M. Uh, 13. So thirteen, yeah, we're just the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> um, and you get grouped up with uh, is it seven other people? One, two, three, four, five, six, two, four, six, seven people. You play six four. 
yeah, you and six other people, right? Yeah, uh, you play four games uh, with different permutations of the players in those groups, and they're all four-player games, which is interesting and has impl- implications. Um, and the top player of each group goes up at the end of the season to the next division, etc. Um, and then that's how the the games play. The bottom two go down. But I, as far as I'm aware, unless there's a new group next year or next next season, I'm in the bottom. So you enter at the bottom. So this is Eric's first time playing. My my time my first time playing. Johnny's not partaking. And uh, Avery, are you playing in this? Uh, no, no. What? What? I didn't even know about it. <laughs> oh, he doesn't have, ti- have time. He's too busy playing 1846. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like chess. You if you're on rank, you start at the bottom, no matter how good you are. Right. right. Yeah. So. So I, so we, Eric and I and Len and um, a couple other people from our, our group, or at least one other, uh, from our like local area, um, all joined up and it's our first season or, uh, yeah, first season. So we, we got grouped in the same division of the fifth and I, I looked at my group and I'm in the group with Eric <laughs> and Len and uh, this other, this other fellow named uh, Patrick of the Isles, who apparently plays a lot on Dot uh, Games and is doing quite well in a number of my games with him as well. So I'm getting my ass handed to me. And uh, that guy likes PRR. It does he? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you you you've seen him around, huh? Yeah, probably at least 25 games against that guy. Yeah. Um. So it's it's an education, and so lots of people playing. A lot of people, I think, almost like 200 people are in this. So it seemed like a good time to talk about some strategy and who who better to have you guys on and do a deep dive in strategy and sort of compare notes here because I think you two have pretty different play styles from what I hear. From what I mean, I've seen, I'm not you... aware that I ever played with Avery, so we I don't know if we have direct comparisons or not. I don't think we have ever played together. Yep. We'll have to set that up. Um, Avery have. I I can't remember if I've played with you at this point. Uh, I play mostly with Johnny. He's a lot more fun. Oh yeah, he's fun. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, don't think, I don't think we have time. Well, he's the one that can't always ar- can't argue well, with that. He's the one that'll sit down and like learn 1817 on RE Big Next X. Oh, nice. Nice. I okay. All right. I see what we're doing. Um, <laughs> all right. So I. Listen, I'm happy to play. I just am time limited. Um, so I think we would um, sort of moderate. We, I, I have a list of questions that, that I thought up before the episode. Um, and as we go along, if you guys have things you, you want to say that maybe isn't exactly pertinent to the questions, but you feel is important, feel free to chime in. And I thought we would ask the questions and then get each of your takes and kind of have a little back and forth. And if, if there's any kind of a disagreement, um, hear both sides of, of the opinion. Uh, so let's start at the beginning of the game and talk about the draft because 1846 has a, a draft and it has implications. So you got to go into it with a strategy. Otherwise you're screwed. So how do you guys approach the draft and, uh, what's going through your head when you start it? Uh, one important factor is obviously your, your draft position. Uh, so is that like the most imp- important there for you guys or what are the tiers of things you're thinking about? I guess. So let's, uh, for me, um, for me, the draft position is definitely like one of the top two things that's most important along with what companies have been removed. And then the third is player count. 
Um, so like if I'm earlier in draft order, so later in company starting order, I'll often take, I'd be more, more likely to take a company with a teleport. Um, I'll be more likely to also maybe dodge privates a little bit more so than if I'm at the tail end. But yeah, the, the biggest thing about position is I just hope that I'm not second to last or second to pick companies. Right now, I'm aware of what you're talking about, but listeners might not be. So why is second to last So it's or it's second just, to picking? It's just a very difficult position because it, it, it typically means that if people are taking... If people aren't taking passes, then it's not that big of a deal unless you're on 18xx.games where the pass thing is a little funky. But in the actual game, like if everybody's taking passes, then the person who's second to last gets stuck with one of the two quote unquote least desirable miners because uh, they won't have the opportunity to pass. Whereas if you're last in order, therefore um, the first to draft a company or select a company, then you, you can just pass if you don't want the tunnel blasting or big four, whichever one's remaining. So it's not an impossible position, but it's in the, in the 300 plus games that I've tracked. Um, it's the least winning position and that's holds true for three, four and five player. Oh, okay. So you've done a little statistical analysis here. Yeah. I'd have to to say that that could possibly be inexperienced players in seat number two, not knowing that they got to deal with that problem and, uh, and getting stuck. So um, I, I agree with everything Avery said so far. Uh, I would say if I'm in the second position in priority order, so second to the last to draft, um, I will draft light. doesn't mean I will take blanks, but I will maybe take a $40 private rather than anything bigger. So just in case I'm forced, as he said, to buy a company, whether I want one or not, it doesn't take my cash down so low that I'm stuck. Right. Yeah, so that... That position, I've only actually recently been made aware of that. And it's something that, you know, when I sat and thought about for a second, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You, the last person has the option to just pass and reduce the price. The person three ahead will more, is it always or more than likely have a, a, a pass to take if they want it. Um, but that second to last, they can get stuck between a rock and a hard place. Well, if they don't have a pass to take, then they have the selection between the three worst minor, right? Like, least More selection, of, yeah. Instead yeah. of being stuck with the arguably worst one. Yeah. The other thing, like, it's not an inescapable position because, like, if you if you plan accordingly for it and have a feeling that the big four, if you play playing with a group where the big four is often last, you can, uh, you know, take like the um, meat packing and then plan for a, like a Chicago route with uh, Illinois Central, but. It just takes a little bit more finesse to play from that position, as opposed to having the first selection of the miners, which is, I, I think, is least popular. But I actually really like that position. I, if I can get uh, like Steamboat or not, if not Steamboat, then like Lake Shoreline or CNWI, I feel pretty good about my game even before it starts. So that's actually a great segue into the next question, which is about some of the powerful private combinations. Uh, I only I only know a few of them like B and O with Steamboat and Tunnel Blasting. Um, what are some of the synergies that you're looking for in the draft? And does it depend on what position that what position you're in? Well, Steamboat and B and O by themselves are very strong. It's nice to have Tunnel Blasting, but even just Steamboat with 
with B&O is good. Right. Um, and certainly if you can get Michigan Southern and Steamboat, it's quite a bit of cash outlay, but you can assign Michigan Southern to the MS because you can assign, sorry, you can assign Steamboat to the MS uh, and run uh, run to Toledo for an $80 run on operating round 1.1 and 1.2 if you want. Oh, I don't think I've ever even seen that. that that's a good point. Um, huh. And then you could have um, B&O <laughs> with Steamboat and Michigan Southern. It only leaves you with $220, so you're going to be buying three shares at 70 but you run the MS for 80 and uh, then you run the MS for 80 again, and then you buy the steamboat in, and then you run it with <clears throat> with B&O with your two two trains. This is all assuming this all works, of course. Right, and yeah, and so that's, so... that's a fine start if you can get it. It right, also yeah. uh, gives your, your B&O or whatever company, if you get Michigan Southern with uh, Steamboat, it also gives your company a huge cash infusion because you have the opportunity, if you can upgrade the green and run for, um, I think you can up, run for up to 100 if you upgrade Toledo or um, Detroit with the Michigan Southern in operating around 1.2. Uh, you're running for 80 and 1.1. You can run for 100 and 1.2, and then you're giving your company more than the 60 that it costs back to um, to buy buy the comp- buy the Michigan Southern from yourself. It's almost a synthetic uh, Illinois Central. The Illinois Central gets another share's worth of capital, and <laughs> this is more complicated to do, but it's almost similar to that. Yeah, so, but like your dream. your uh, your B and O in the meantime in that scenario is running. Uh, in OR2 without the steamboat power? No, you, no, you buy it a, in. And then... a special power of the steamboat, which is you can run it, you can assign it to a company, whether it's a major or an independent, um, at the beginning of the operating rounds, right. and use it for that company, and then you can buy it in with a corporation, and then use the steamboat on that corporation. Oh, it. So you get to double In theory, double you can it. double dip the uh, steamboat, the, turn that it, the operating round it buys in. Now, of well, course, you're... You said, Eric, you said, you know, you're buying three at 70, which if you're tr- doing, trying to do the steamboat B&O thing, you want two trains, right? You need like three, two trains, probably. Well, well this... I would think that you'd buy two, two trains with a B&O and then get your third, oh, two you trains. You get your third. Yep. Yeah. But the, um, the other thing is that it doesn't even have to be with the B&O because when you're running two or three trains from Toledo, uh, it can be any company that uses that Michigan Southern teleport. So like right. if you start with Illinois Central, like the dream is Illinois Central, Michigan Southern, and Steamboat. So you can uh, double dip on Toledo with the uh, Michigan Southern and then double dip on it with uh, the Illinois Central as well while having all the extra cash infusion. Then you just have a super healthy company and you're running for the most money. It's interesting. It's, that's a combination. I don't think I've ever, ever even seen the those three things that you're talking about. Now, again, like 20, maybe 25 games. Well, you uh, gotta get what? you gotta get either Steamboat or Michigan Southern to go all the way around the order because if you're gonna get both of them, one of them you have to draft on this the second pick, and generally people snap those up. Right. Yeah. There's no, and there's lesser co- variations of like the of similar stuff. Like you can get the um, the CNWI with the meat packing, uh, which is has has good money. It's not nearly as good as as the and it costs more and pays you the same amount of. Uh, minor income but um it's like a, a slightly lesser version of the same principle where you uh, upgrade chicago and get two runs to chicago double dip in there so other privates i would say the michigan central often just i use as a um 15 an operating round private 
Um, often in our games, people um, build the Mickey Mouse ears in the Michigan Central's hexes because they have no intention of using it. But every so often, the Michigan Central can be very valuable for either the Grand Trunk or the Michigan Southern. How for the Grand Trunk? Well, the Grand Trunk's in Port Huron, and uh, you just need one tile lay and the Michigan uh, Central, and you can run to Holland. And Holland's a $40 city until Brown. And if you have Steamboat, Holland's an $80 city. So in theory, um, you could run from Port Huron to Holland uh, for 100 I was getting the Ohio and Indiana confused with uh, Michigan, yep. Michigan Central. The Ohio and Indiana, to my mind, is particularly valuable for um, the Illinois Central to help it get east in a hurry, or possibly the New York or the Erie. Um, but of course, you don't know what company you're going to be running, so you can't really plan that too much in the draft. On the, to Eric's point, the all of the forty dollar privates are in general pretty good because they give you good. They give you thirty dollars of income before you get your money back from from the company, and even after your your company buys them from you, it never really hurts your company that much because you're going to get one or two incomes into your company from it as well. So and uh, and, and it, so if you get the um, the benefit of the private, it's really just like a bonus on top of like decent revenue because uh, $15 for a $40 share is pretty good in the first two sets or $30 for a $40 share is pretty good for the first two sets of ORs. Yep. Um, what about uh, like the, the mail contract? Do you guys ever see anyone fighting over that? I think it's undervalued because uh, it's often lumped, I think it's often lumped in with the tunnel blasting as like the worst one or like it's often the one that gets passed down uh, to like you know, 60, $70 of value before it gets snapped up. But it can be really valuable for um, companies that, I know this is going to sound weird, but are starting with a uh, low par strategy. Like if you're starting the NYC uh, with a $40 par then or $50 par, whatever, um, you can get a single run or two runs from, you don't have to lay track. You can get a single run for, or two runs from Erie to the off board for enough to double jump, even if you par at like, I think it's 60. But what synergies the, does that have with the mail contract though? The mail contract. because oh, you're getting more money. Over. I think it's at $80 because right. it bumps it down to 70 and then you run two routes off board for 60 each plus the $20 from the mail contract puts you up to 140. So it makes starting at 80 with, uh, without laying any track really viable when you don't have to run to um, Cleveland to get it done. So the thing about the mail contract is um, it's not bad. It makes your company a monster in the late game oftentimes, but it pays no revenue and it's $80 to buy in. And so if you aren't able to afford to buy in the mail contract or if you have to buy it in for well under what you paid for it, um, it can be really painful. And at the beginning of the draft, you don't always know what else you're going to be taking. So it's it's often that you want to wait until you know how much money you have left before you draw draft the mail contract, which is, I think, why it stays late. And another thing is some people who would be perfectly happy with a mail contract um, look at the situation and they see that apparently uh, a number of people have bought expensive privates and they say, I'm going to pass on it and maybe yeah. it'll get all the way around and the price will stop dropping and I'll start dropping and I'll get it for 70 or $60. I think the least I've ever seen it go for is 50. But, I think that um, 
I you know, but I passed it in one of my tournament games. I passed it to somebody for forty dollars because I was like, I cannot buy this. And the people right. ahead of me passed it, and it passed it. And I was like, "What are you doing?" And the guy got to me, and I was like, "No." It's really uh, helpful if uh, <laughs> if if you've taken a couple of passes before the mail contract gets to you. So if you like get the, grab the lake shoreline or the steamboat right off the bat, then take a couple of passes, then that that'll really drive down the price of uh, mail contract for you. Yeah, I felt comp- compelled to do that. <laughs> so a related question: uh, You mentioned that that one of the reasons the mail contracts gets passed on is it's expensive. And if you can't buy it in for its full value, you end up with less money going into stock round two. So can you guys talk about how important stock round two is and what your goal is going into stock round two in terms of how important is it that you have bought your private for its full value or, or what are your general goals to get? I would, say, I would say that I look at, um, how much stock I own at the end of stock round two as the critical thing. And I can get there in a couple of different ways. Um, If I have um, few privates, I didn't spend much on the privates, I can spend a good amount of money on stock and then um, my company will make money. But usually you don't make that much money because you're not making any money in uh, OR 1.1 and you make some in OR 1.2, but you already have your stock. Whereas if you, have expensive privates, that means you can buy less stock value in the first stock round. But as long as you can buy those privates in, then you've got a big pile of money to buy shares in stock round two. So uh, I think sometimes I only might get two shares in stock round one, but usually that means a lot of shares in stock round two. Whereas if I get five shares in stock round one, chances are I'm not going to get as many shares in stock round two. Um, but I look at those two together. The number of shares I have after stock round one isn't a critical consideration for me, but I do want to somehow come out of stock round two with good holdings. So I, and I look at it just a little bit different, I think, than a lot of people do, because I don't necessarily build my plan around uh, the stock rounds. So um, the, the way that I play 46 tends to I mean, the, the game itself lends itself to be more operational. And so I've, I've found that a lot of my strategy lies in the operating. So, uh, and like maintaining um, a healthy company for longer. So my only goal through the first two sets of ORs isn't necessarily to get enough for, to get three shares or to get the fourth share if somebody else part low, but is um, rather to make sure that I can buy up all my privates to make sure that I'm, I'm, at least a little liquid, and then to ensure a double jump. And I rarely buy trains that will push me past that if it comes at the cost of issuing shares. So I find that often in the I can leave the stock round two with one uh, with a with a share less than than the average, but still do okay because I never have the the half pay double jump never has to apply if you are able to not issue the shares and not get your shares snapped up by running for less than everybody else. Meaning you don't like to half pay double jump if you have the option to full pay and shares in your company and, and right. Okay. Yeah. And like, so instead of, um, instead of issuing shares to get a third train route so that I can pay myself 27 instead of 19 with the BNO, for instance, uh, if you get, so for those who don't know if you, have the steamboat in the BNO, you can run two trains to the offboards and then one up to uh, Pennsylvania's home um, for $27. But if instead of doing that, you just do the two train, you don't issue a share, so you don't 
have to spend the extra $60 to lay the track and then another share to buy the third train. If instead you just run the two offboards for 19 and double jump, then your, your company doesn't ever, you never have to figure out how to buy that train, which I, I, I see a lot of players struggling with how to buy their first and or second train later, the permanent train later in the game. And sometimes I will sacrifice a share of my own position to make sure that, that I have the health of the company uh, for the later position. It also, running for less will help your um, shares not get snapped up by the other players when the big rush comes in SR 1.2. And if you right. can sneak your company through and not get too far behind in the in the shares count, then often you can come out of the the scrum for the Browns in pretty good position. So that's that's something that I've heard. Uh, I know. So actually, I should mention. I wanted to mention that there is a a cool. Uh, cool. Um, a very helpful strategy guide that um, is up on Tower of Gaming. The uh, Eric, do you know who runs that? What's his name? It's, it's Brian Bankler. Brian his Bankler. BGG username is Bankler. And uh, the name of the article is 1846 Strategy by People Smarter Than Tau, because Tau <laughs> is his nickname for himself. Right. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But he, he, uh, Basically, he played a couple of games with uh, Eric's group, Joe's group, and uh, picked everybody's brains and compiled all of what everybody had to say into a blog post and put it up there. And one of the things that I think Joe Huber says in that is um, the art of not having your shares bought, like not uh, the art of not really looking too appealing in in the beginning of the game, um, which is what Avery was just saying, right? Uh, and I'm wondering, Eric, if you um, if you actively manage that ever, um, as a player who like when you, when you sit down with people, I'm imagining that they tend to buy your shares, uh, if you're playing with like a group other than your own, right? Uh, yeah. They know, they know you and they're like, okay, I'll buy you his shares. I did that when I played with you. I was like, well, I have the choice between this person who I don't know. And this guy who I know has played, you know, several hundred times. I'm going to buy his share cause he's probably going to do a good job. Um, do you have to balance that ever? Yeah, although I would say in our group, it's Joe Rashannon who yeah. is the most reliable person to run a good company because both Joe Huber and I, although we um, are pretty good players, uh, we sometimes do wacky strategies. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we decide, um, you know, with everybody buying up our company, we didn't really need to own that company and we'll let somebody else deal with the fact that we've been paying out in full. And um, So I, I agree. I think that sometimes people make poor decisions based on buying shares in a company just because it paid the most the last stock round the last operating round or because it's going to pay the most in the following operating round but uh, probably Avery's opponents would in some cases be better off buying his shares where he's building a great company um, because they're going to be really valuable later than buying the shares that they're buying and that would affect uh, how Avery's position plays because if a company winds up making it to two permanent trains without much trouble and full paying the whole time, um, you know, you, it's hard to get more than one or two shares of it. Whereas uh, if you buy one share early, sometimes you can get to three. And so if he's got six and you have three, or he even might only have five and you have three, um, you know, then he's done a lot of work to make a, a great company and you've gotten 60% of the value or 50% of the value that he got out of it. Yeah. So the, the, um, the, Avery, the I, I hope you that, know that, by the way. You go. You go first. Uh, just that I was just going to say that I, I, I'm sorry 
if we paint a target on your back now for uh <laughs> for further plays if you hop on uh that's no, okay. <laughs> it's okay because i'm about to lay out the counter which is that um the company is only good because people don't buy shares so people buying shares makes the company no longer good right so it gets less capital so you're in kind of a of an awkward situation where you can um, you can invest in my company, which will then make sh- ensure that it doesn't get two permanent trains um, and sacrifice uh, the work that I'm doing. But then you're also buying up shares in the company that's currently paying the least and is now a sick company going forward because all the capital that it was planning on having, it, it doesn't have going forward. So how do you manage that as the other player? If you're in that position where you see a company that's going to be good, really good, unless you buy the shares, what's going? what goes on in your head then? You buy the shares with the company with the most green trains. That's okay. Segue. Um, <laughs> let's see. We're going to jump to a question that is probably farther down. Also, you make sure that every other company has a share in the stock pool when you leave the uh, stock run. That's the other thing you do. Can you elaborate yeah. on, on why those two things are important? Yeah. So, um, so the, the company that ran for the most in, in OR 1.2, or 1, 1.2 is, is almost always the company with the most two trains. Uh, that company also almost always has the least, uh, most amount of issued shares, the least amount of capital um, left in it, and also has three trains that are all about to rust because all of, it has all of the two trains. So by the company that has green trains no matter what it's running for because it's more likely to pay out than the two trains that are about to have to withhold to buy a brown. The other re- the other thing that's important that I mentioned is that every stock round you want to try to maneuver your situation to sell to, to own a share of everybody so that you can sell a share of everybody that they can't personally redeem to ensure that everybody's stock takes a hit because if you can do that then you're costing the comp not only are you costing the player the whatever the stock bump is that it's losing, you're also exponentially costing the company money on the shares that, on the value of the shares that are going to sell later. But then what, what share, aren't you just left with a bunch of cash and no shares because you can't buy? No, you you save, you save your, uh, your shares for last. Okay. But then of course, I'm sure what Eric's about to point out is then everybody else is going to just buy up your shares, which is true. And then you have to figure out what to do. Well, you're also devaluing your own company in the long run because you're now having to buy more of your own shares because you, you've divested of all the other companies. So isn't your long-term capital going to be lower? Isn't that the same thing you were pr- trying to prevent by running low so people wouldn't buy your shares? Yeah. I mean, preferably what you're doing is rescuing your shares out of the stock market uh, or... Or what you're doing is you're you know buying a third share of the company with two green trains and then only selling one, you know. So you still you don't have to dump all of the shares you buy, just enough for it to drop a stock bump. Okay, I find this another very ta- interesting. Sorry, another go ahead, tactic Eric. is um, you might not want to race to get to sixty percent of your company so fast, because if you got sixty percent, you can't rescue a share out of the stock market. Um, if you're at fifty, you can rescue a share. Now Avery could sell two shares, but that's a much bigger job for him to uh to do that so uh, i'm not always so unhappy if i um am a fairly low ownership 40 or 50 percent because it gives me that protection of course if everybody dumps a share of mine and sometimes in that case uh it actually is viable for the company to just redeem all those shares and then pay full and uh you know sometimes you you wish your company could just redeem a share or two 
to start building more capital for that second train or for some track building. And, uh, you know, sometimes your opponents dump shares in the market at just the right time. You got you got some good money, but you don't have enough for that permanent train. And you say, okay, I'll buy them up. I still got, as Avery, Avery said, my two green trains. I'll pay out well with them. And now my share price will go up. I'll get dividends into the treasury. And when it's time to finally uh, issue or have somebody buy those shares, it, it funds the train you need. Uh, I'm going to hop in here because I found the question. It's question 17 on my list. So we were quite a we were at, we're at two right now. <laughs> um, it, it, I had written, is it always a priority to try and get two green trains? No. Since we were t- talking about it. I would say it's almost always a priority to get one, but not not that's not even always possible. But you know, there aren't two green trains per player, no matter how many player what your player count is. So, so obviously it can't be. Um, I don't work too hard, but I don't want to be in a situation where I just don't have enough train power when the yellow trains go away. So, so if I can't get two green trains, I probably want one, and I probably want to be able to get to a brown in a in a in a hurry. So if you if you have two green trains, then you can't own two brown trains. That's the first thing to remember. And if you can right. get two brown trains, then you win. So, I mean, not, not is that hard always, and fast? Not always, but I mean, it's I'm a, in a game with really two brown start. trains, and I do not think I will win. It's a really <laughs> good, it's a really good start. So um, you should I, always look for the chance to get two brown trains. It may not always be a winning move, but never overlook it. Yeah. I, I had a so, good time making making life really difficult for somebody uh, who then needed to deal with a great great purchase right away. So that was that was satisfying. Sorry, continue. Getting two ground tra- green trains is really great if you are running like um, the figure eight from um, from Grand Trunks home to Detroit to Toledo. Uh, you can make side by side track to run that twice, which is a lot of fun. If you can get an yeah. east, east to west um, from uh, from Detroit through Chicago and then also have one, have a, another three train running from uh, Detroit down to Erie. Like that's a really good reason to have two green trains, but having shares in the company with two green trains is more important than having two green trains. Sure. I'd also mention that, and you didn't ask these in your questions, but um, you know, 1846 is a capital deployment game. It's questions where, how are you going to deploy your capital into shares? And then how are you going to deploy the shares of any company you're the president of into um, infrastructure? And there's two kinds of infrastructure. One is the track and stations you have, and the other is the trains. And you want those two things to match. So it's possible to have two green trains and not much track, and you wind up running those green trains you know, as two trains. Um, I just uh, saw a game uh, recently in which a player got started B&O with a steamboat, got a lot of cross-investment, bought three twos and a four in OR 1.1. And then he couldn't even run his four train in OR 1.2. But the other thing you could have is great routes, but all you have is a single four train or maybe a single five train, and you'd like to have a seven, eight run. You have a seven, eight run. That's perfect. But how are you going to get that seven, eight? So so ideally, you bounce those things out, and it's hard to do sometimes. Yeah. So speaking of of cap, it being a capital deployment game, uh, we we often hear people talking about low capital strategy versus a high capital strategy in eighteen forty six. What does that mean? And and how does one do one or the other? I'm usually, if I talk about that, talking about coming out of stock where. I w- stock round one, 
you know, you could have $200 or less, or you could have 400, 300, 360, some number like that. And uh, in one case, you got a lot of privates. Hopefully, they're valuable to you. In the other case, you hardly have any privates. And those are really very different situations to be in. You got to be able to figure out how to deal with them. Um, or possibly you hate one strategy, it doesn't fit your play style, and so you just try to avoid that one that you don't like. But I think ideally you'd be flexible enough to run both of those. But you believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that both are viable ways to win the game. Yes. Yeah. Are they equally viable, or is one generally easier than the other? So I would um, compare it to... Uh, so the the amount that you leave the um, we're talking about the amount that you leave the auction round with entering yes. entering in stock round one one point one yes um, yeah. so the um, a lot like when you set your company's par value if you start it in the middle you're going to have an easier game but if you go on either extreme it's going to be more difficult so if you if you leave with no privates and only shares then you're probably going to be doing a lot of cross investing which is a really um, can be a difficult strategy, or if you leave with no capital or with very low capital, then you're going to ha have a lot of figuring out to do on how to get personal value because you don't have shares. Um, so starting anywhere from 280 to like 360 is a nice sweet spot. Um, starting less than 260, it's going to be kind of really, really tough on you. Um, and then I, I hear a lot about people that like to leave, try to leave with all of their money, but I, I rarely see those people win. Because those people have a lot of money. If they plow it all into their company, their company can afford trains, but it still can only build <laughs> two tiles a turn, an operating round. Hmm. And so uh, you've got a company. You don't want your company to be sitting on a ton of money. Um, maybe at the end of the game, it's okay. But you don't want your company sitting on a ton of money that it can't use right away because um, that money could have instead been shares in treasury if you if those shares hadn't been bought, which is why Avery is saying you want to cross invest in that case. And yeah. um, so, so you don't like that situation um, because the company's got all of that, um, all of that uh, train power, but no infrastructure, unless you can somehow piggyback on somebody else who's got the infrastructure. Additionally, um, if yep. you're, if you're buying a share of somebody, like say you leave the, with $400 in capital and you plan on buying five shares of your own company. So you're, st you're parting at $80. So if, if you leave with one share of your company, uh, then the most that I think you, I've ever seen anybody run for in one, in uh, 1.2 is like, I think 41, yeah. uh, which is a, like, that's a lot of money. Like that's a lot of run. And then if you figure in the stock bump, that's $51 for the share because you, you lose $10 and gain 20. So, yep. so you've netted $51 off that share where if you, if you instead take that $80 and buy the ONI in the Michigan Central, you've made $60 and then you get back your 80. So you've netted, uh, you've, you've netted the share that you were going to buy anyway, plus $60 that you're instead of 51. For one share. Yeah. For instead of getting the one share, you've, you've netted, you've profited an extra $9 and, uh, Additionally, you have right. benefits. So in your, your hypothetical product. scenario there, you're saying buy one fewer share and instead, you know, so still do the same thing in that, in that scenario, four shares at 80. Oh, I wasn't necessarily talking. Yeah. 
and then you would have spent the other the other eighty dollars on two two miners that are going to pay you sixty dollars instead of fifty one. And that's in right. And the fifty one is like Obviously. absolute dreamland scenario. Like once in a hundred games, does anybody run for fifty for forty one dollars plus the stock jump? You're more likely going to get like twenty nine dollars, which is a nineteen dollar run plus a ten dollar stock bump. So instead of getting twenty nine dollars, you're getting sixty. Yeah, right. As an example of the power of buying in your privates, right? Of the, yeah, an, of important, important, an important constraint on the high capital strategy is the fact that your company, no matter how much money it has, you know, it can't hire workers to work overtime and build extra tracks. It can only lay two tiles. And um, you're trying to squeeze a whole lot of capital investment through two tiles and operating rounds. And you know, if you have a buddy somehow, somebody else that you know is going to build track that both of you are going to use, that can help that strategy. All right. So so we've talked a little bit about par prices um, and some of the factors that go into that decision. Um, but it's it's, for me anyway, it is like the toughest sometimes, sometimes not, but some of, one of the toughest decisions I make in this game and one I find that has an incredible impact on the rest of the, the game. Um, getting this wrong can be really bad for you. So uh, can you guys just talk a little bit about what other factors you consider when you're setting the power price of your company? Um, and uh, like, like, for example, what trains you want and, and how do you play against other players at the table for getting getting those you know trains like if you're a company that really wants uh yellow two trains or green trains one or the other how do you try and make that work uh, versus maximizing balancing that with maximizing your investment because you want to put your money to work uh, i'm really lazy about it um usually when i leave the uh, auction round i figure out how you know if i what's the most amount of shares that I can get within my little like 90 to 60 bracket. And I usually just roll with that. I mean, there's, there's sometimes when I'll, I'll jump outside of that and, and start a company. Like if I have, if I have too many um, high valued miners or privates and I'm, and I'm starting the Illinois central, I might bump it up to a hundred, but most of the time, like if I leave with 240 bucks, I'm going to start a company either at three shares of 80 or four shares of 60. And that really depends on how many, train or which trains I, I think that I'm going to end up running. So I'll um, go back to your previous question and observe that one of the things in the the private company draft is you'd like to come out with an amount of money that's evenly divisible by some stock price that you would like to use. Um, in particular, if you buy nothing but the MS, you wind up with $260, which could be five shares at 50, or it could be four shares at 60, or it could be three shares at 80, but still you got some money on the table. So in some ways um, you think about that, but um, I, I think that Avery is right that if you, um, if you have a lot of money tied up in privates, you might want a higher pie price, partly because, um, partly because you can offset the fact that you'll have fewer shares by the shares that you can buy in stock round two after buying those privates in. Uh, but secondly, because um, if you have a higher par price, typically, if you need to issue shares, um, you get more capital into the company um, by issuing high than by issuing low. Um, so just for an example, if you have 240 and you issue three shares, and you buy two, three shares at 80, you could issue three shares at 70, that's 450 bucks. 
if you start instead with four shares at 60, you can do four shares at 50, and that's 440 bucks. Plus, in one case, the company has four shares left in treasury, and in the other case, it has two shares left in treasury. If you aren't going to issue all those shares, the calculations vary, but it's still that same principle. So generally, thing- if I spend a lot of money on privates, I tend to lean high on the on the uh, par price. And if I didn't spend much, I tend to lean low. The other thing is that uh, going back to my, what I was saying about the operating round, um, I I only ever par high enough so that I can make sure that I know that I can double jump. So if I know if I see on the board that my route is only going to run for 17, then I'm not going to par at 100 because then I'll need an $80 run to double jump. Right. You really want to double jump in OR 1.2. You, you like have to double jump in 1.2. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody win without double jumping in 1.2. Well, shit. <laughs> That's not something I've ever even paid attention to. That's cool. Yeah, if you're uh, thinking about your plan, and you could do this after the draft, say, what plan is available to me that brings a double jump and operating around 1.2? So if and I'm, if you can't find one, that's really sad. But if you can find one, pick one of those. <laughs> if I'm starting the Illinois Central uh, and I and I have the big four, for instance, this is uh, one that comes up often. Then instead of parring at 80, I'll, I'll drop it down to 60 because I know that I'll be able to run uh, a train from Cairo to St. Louis for 60 and then from Terre Haute to um, Indianapolis for 40 and I'll be able to double jump no matter what. But I don't know that I'll be able to get that up to $140 in order to double jump if I would have part at 80. I, I think that information is particularly useful because the range of par values is so wide that no matter how you come out of the draft, you probably can find a double jump at some par price with one of the companies available to you. Right. So know, knowing how critical that is, I think it should be helpful to raising anybody's game that's listening to this that didn't already know. Yeah, I would rather par at 40 and double jump than par at 80 and have a healthier company without double jumping. Another thing about par prices is, um, and you sort of referred to this earlier, um, do you want yellow trains or green trains early on? So if you're the B&O and you're planning to run, uh, you have Steamboat and you're planning to run a two train from Wheeling to Pittsburgh and a two train from Wheeling to Cumberland, um, you know, if you don't get... If you don't get yellow trains, that's not going to work. So um, if you really need yellow trains, you might want to par low. On the other hand, um, it's possible for Grand Trunk with um, with Michigan Southern to run east-west across the north in operating around 1.2. And if you want to do that, well, you need a green train because you're not going to run east-west with a yellow train. So then you might want to par a little bit higher. Um, of course, um, you know, you can't tell if you're the player with a priority deal what the other people are going to par at. That's one big advantage of being late in the priority order is you can see what all the other pars that people have started companies at are. And, um, and you know, then you can sort of slot your company in, not only in a place that satisfies all the other things we said, but that leaves you with uh, trains to buy that are the trains you want to buy. So we know this is uh, more of an operational game. So um, it's not 1830 where people are dumping and stealing companies all the time. Is stealing a company a viable strategy in 1846? And, and when would you be looking to take over a company? 
when I have uh, a bunch of two trains and somebody buys two shares in my company, I'm looking to take theirs. I'm going to look to drop my company and take theirs. Um, it, it often happens with the B&O when you start with that steamboat uh, start and you're running for uh, 19 or 27 and everybody's jumping into your company. So Johnny, you might buy like two shares of the B&O, which locks up your capital and you only have three shares of your own company. Well, that gives me a good opportunity to dump B&O so you can't sell yours and then I can buy up four shares. And now I have a really healthy company that I've borrowed from you. And in exchange, I've dumped the toxic asset of the B&O. Doesn't, don't, uh, so wouldn't both players sort of lose a little bit in that situation because now you're also taking more shares out of treasury of the company that you've just taken over. So it's also not as healthy in the long run. Yeah. But I'd rather have a, a I'd rather have like the Illinois central with two green trains um, and not very much capital besides all the money that I'm pouring into it right now, which is usually enough to buy a Brown train uh, rather than having the BNO that also doesn't have capital and only two trains. Okay, so a caveat is that the, the the company that you're swapping for needs to have better trains than the ones you're dumping. Well, yeah, yeah, you want to you not necessarily you want to dump the the company that's in a worse situation in order to take over the company that's in a better situation. Okay. But his point is, which is worth thinking about, if you get a company dumped on you, um, you've just lost liquidity because now you can't sell the present certificate, and in some cases you can't sell the other certificates because no more than fifty percent of the stock can be in the stock pool. So if um, if Avery has 50% of the company, Johnny, and you um, buy 20%, he can dump all 50. Sorry, you buy up to, I don't know, 30%. He can dump all 50, and you're stuck with your 30. I right, would say right, the right. other case in which you might want to steal a company is an OR1. If for your strategy, um, there's a particular corporation that you want to start, and somebody else starts it before you, and you have more capital, um, sometimes you can just buy over them and get the company you want. Um, SR1. You, usually in stock R1, sorry, stock yeah, R1. Yeah. Um, if usually they will see this coming and before you become the president, they will sell their shares and start their plan B company. Um, but, uh, you know, that can work. It does have the problem that um, you have a lot of shares out of treasury, but in some cases, it's not bad. So suppose I start a company with three shares at 60. That's what I got. And, um, and let's say you have enough money to buy four shares at 60. So um, you bu start buying, you get to three shares. I don't have any money left. And I can see you're buying another company. Another thing, um, I sell my three shares and you now can buy a share at 50 because the price just went down. And then on the, um, the first operating round, you buy, a tra you buy trains, but you don't have one, you fall back to 40. And now you can buy all your shares back at 50 that were bought in at, at Redeem 60. them. You can redeem your shares yeah. at 50 that were bought in at 60, and you just basically got you know, extra capital into your company. It's actually you, one you better and one worse. Bit, you did lose a little bit on the stock market. Because uh, the company's going to fall back to 40 before uh, when it leaves the stock round. It falls back to 50 because you sold one. And then that's it right. Falls, and then it goes down yeah. to 30, you buy it back so, to 40. So that's actually an infusion of capital into the company that's like <laughs> that's free fun. money. Right. Yeah, it just comes yeah. at... And like everything, the fr the free money comes at a cost, which is the cost of your own personal value and your personal portfolio. Additionally, when the shares get bought in the next OR, they're getting bought for thirty dollars less than they would be if the, if it hadn't been sold in the first place. Right. So it's a it's a very okay. temporary cash infusion. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I I it was something that I learned to look for. I, I think it happened to me once or twice. 
where I started a company without looking at the buying power of other players and promptly had the, the good company that I wanted to start stolen from under me. Uh, so I learned that lesson very quickly to, to check what money other people have before I pick my par price if I want to make sure somebody can't steal it. So you can either sometimes pick a par price that makes the numbers round poorly for them so that they can't steal it. Or sometimes you can pick a par price that they can steal it, but they would be leaving a lot of money on the table because they can't make the par price you choose go evenly into the amount that they were going to spend. Right. And so you can not make it impossible, but you can make it unattractive for them to do that. Yeah, because yep. of the high remainder of cash. Yeah. Um, all right. So... I want to do this because I don't think I've seen this done. I want to go through all of the companies that in the game and talk about like a couple of ideas for things that you can do to this. Because as a new player, I wish that I had seen this kind of resource because generally you see stuff about the Grand Trunk or the Ick or maybe the maybe the New York um, or P&O online. I don't really hear a whole lot talked about about P- PRR and definitely not the CNO. So I want to go through these in the Eerie um, and just talk about, you know, with this company, if I am looking to start it, here's what I'm looking for uh, and, and what I might do with it. What are the, the viable strategies? So we'll start with the MIC and we'll go down the list. So uh, Avery, you want to start? Sure. Yeah. NYC is easy. You can run um, like four. If you, I mean, the first thing that you see when you're a new player is somebody runs four, two trains out of Erie, two to Cleveland and two to, um, What's that, Buffalo off the board? Buffalo, yeah. Yeah, and by lane, you lay a gentle out of Erie to Cleveland and a sharp back. Then on your next operation, you upgrade Erie to the to an X and then lay another gentle to Cleveland. And now you're running for a bazillion dollars. You can do the same thing. It's even better if you can get two twos and a three five. Like that's a, a much better way of achieving the same thing. Um, and I'll are, mention that if you, if you have Lakeshore line, you can also upgrade yeah. Cleveland and run so if you have lakeshore line um if you if you can only upgrade one of erie and cleveland people often make a mistake but generally you want to upgrade erie because it goes from 10 to 30 it goes up 20 and it's also where your token is but if you get uh, lakeshore line you're running with four with with two four two trains you're running two eights and two sixes for 28 a share if um if you're running a three five and two twos you're running for uh, 25 a share um, if you can't upgrade Cleveland with a Lakeshore, then it's a little worse, but it's still really good money. The other thing you can do with if you have Lakeshore is you can um, lay a straight out of um, out of Erie and then build up an upgrade Toledo and snipe somebody's token in Toledo or Detroit who didn't originally foresee you coming. Yeah, he meant a straight in Cleveland, I think. Yeah, a straight out of yeah. Cleveland, sorry. You, yep. you build out of Erie Gentle right. and then a straight out of Cleveland and then wrap up to Toledo, upgrade Toledo with like Shoreline, token it. And then when the Grand Trunk was planning on getting a token down there with whomever the Michigan Southern had, now the Grand Trunk is pretty much SOL. And you get to run routes up to Detroit and Erie. If you look at the GMT rulebook and the sample game, uh, <laughs> Bob, the black player, uh, uses that method. So if you want to know exactly what Avery said, you could actually just look at the rulebook for the sample game. I love that you know that. <laughs> um, all right. So are there any other strategies for NYC uh, that that you would want to pursue other than the um, multiple hits on Erie, Cleveland, Buffalo situation? So I would yeah. also say that New York Central has one of the best home tokens in the game. Um, I would argue it's the best home token in the game. 
And um, let's say you're doing a strategy that um, really doesn't depend on building out of the home station. Let's say you're doing something with the MS or something like that. Um, you know, of course, there's always ick, which is a, attractive because of the extra capital. But um, if you're just looking for a corporation, it doesn't matter what corporation to have. The N NYC can be good for that because later in the game, you've got that East connection as long as you don't get tokened out of Cleveland. It's also the corporation that is the most good at the most player counts. Like um, as we go through the other other companies, it'll a lot will be determined because of player count. Um, I mean, privates. We're gonna. I'm gonna ignore that for the purposes of these conversations. Like, which ones are in or out? But the player counts are gonna be huge. And New York Central is just always good. Like Eric said, because of its good home token, it doesn't have to waste one like some other companies. Okay. Um, so, what about? Uh, is there anything else about NYC, or, or do you guys want to move on to Grand Trunk, which is the best company? Out? What do you want? You think it's the best company, NYC? I don't know. It's my favorite. <laughs> I think I agree with Avery that the New York Central is the strongest all-purpose corporation. Um, you, you can hardly get into trouble with it, although possibly there might be opportunities you'd like to have with another company. Um, I was just looking. I never realized this, but uh, no other home token can ever be in a city that's worth more than 30 in this game. And it goes uh, to, uh, Erie goes to 50. Erie will go to 50 if you can get one of the two gray cities in there. And it gives you the best, or like the second best offboard as well. Now, a thing to worry about with the New York Central is that if Erie pars below you, if Erie launches and pars below you, uh, Erie can cut you off. Erie can just build straight west to Cleveland. And, um, you know, that can interfere with your plans. Um, this is especially true if, um, if the greens don't break. Um, I've played, you know, mm. over 300 games, as we talked about. I only think I've played about five or 10 where greens didn't break. Um, you know, in the first operating round. But if New York Central doesn't have a teleport and Erie builds west and, the, and you don't have any green tires, you're in big trouble. Benzie can do the same as well. Yep, at, at, a, at, a, at a higher cost. Well, no, I guess. Yep, yeah, at a higher cost. 40 bucks. Yeah, yep. they got to go to the, the, whatever that is, the $40 yep. line. It's not a mountain, it's a hill. Yep, yep. What's the next company? Grand Trunk. Eric, do you want to start? Sure. So Grand Trunk has a big advantage, and that is that it's right next to Detroit. And so getting tokens in Detroit and Chicago for a four-train run east-west for 23 without any bonuses um, is sort of easy for the Grand Trunk. And, um, you know, that's good. The downside of Grand Trunk is that it only has three tokens. So if you don't have an extra token... Um, you put one in Port Huron, and generally you need one in Detroit and one in Chicago. It's possible to run the Grand Trunk, Trunk without putting a token in Detroit if everything gets blocked off from everybody, but that's risky. And um, if you only have those three tokens, in most games, Toledo will get tokened up. And then you have a five-trade route uh, with the East-West and then those three tokens. And that won't pay more than about... Um, 38 or $39 a share under best circumstances. And um, you may not have anywhere to run a second train. Even if you could get to a second permanent train, you may not have anywhere to run it. So um, that's not bad. You can just make big money on the Grand Trunk early and then settle into a kind of um, you know low-budget existence at the end as long as you bought plenty of shares in really good late-game companies with your winnings. 
Does that but that's make, sort of its downside. Does that make mail contract more attractive to the Grand Trunk? Well, the mail contract certainly can add $50 to the Grand Trunk's run, which may be the difference between the, being the worst company in the game and the and not the worst company in the game. <laughs> um, typically, the worst company in the game, there's not enough certificate count to buy up all the shares. Uh, in many games at the end, the company that's viewed as the worst is the one that has shares in the bank in the in the stock market, and so um, you know falls back every stock round. And you don't want to be the person who has the most shares in that company. So, um, so that the this is true of a lot of companies, corporations, by the way, that the mail contract can save you from that problem. If uh, if Michigan Southern goes south to Toledo, so that I don't get to have the easy four route from uh, Windsor to uh, Chicago Connections. Um, I, as the Grand Trunk, uh, often like to Tokido, um, and then play defensive track to because you can. It's not that hard to to block people out of Detroit, right? Espe- especially if if uh, like New York Central or whomever bought the Michigan Southern gets uh, a token in Toledo, and you can just wedge off your your easy um, offboard or five train offboard from um, Windsor to Chicago connection, then you can have you can be accidentally like co-working with another player in order to like not have to token Detroit. And then right. that also sets that, you that's, up. That's harder if the Pennsylvania is in the game because of the Fort Wayne teleport. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I mean, Grand Trunk is going to be better in a, in a lower player count game because fewer tokens. So in your three player game, Grand Trunk is an awesome company because it starts with a bunch of really valuable routes. Um, the Windsor offboard is the most valuable yellow offboard, uh, east offboard. Um, and then, it, like uh, Eric said, it's got an easy four train or three five east to west. Um, it's got really easy access to Detroit, which is um, a nice Z city. So for extra cash, so it's like a powerhouse in a three player game. In five, the, the tokens get really oppressive. Um, so being the company, being one of the two companies, in my opinion, that only have two usable tokens, um, the Erie being the other one, uh, makes it really, really difficult to um, have a success, have a, have a long term success without having either the big four, Michigan Southern or uh, CNWI. And you say usable because uh, Port Huron is a, a city you don't really want to run through later? No, I say usable because Erie technically has three tokens they can lay, but not really. Oh, we'll get okay. to that when we get to Erie. My, I hate Erie. So, so, the, so the Grand Trunk um, has to make its decision. Is it going to try to get to Chicago as fast as possible? Or is it going to um, do what Avery said and play in the um, Detroit to Cleveland area? And that depends sort of on what kind of trains it gets. It depends on what other companies are doing. But you kind of have to make that strategic decision. I see um, one of the benefits of the Grand Trunk is that easy route, uh, that easy $23 share route. And if you launch the Grand Trunk, and then you don't make any effort to get that route, you're sort of giving something up. And you might get enough back to make up for that, but it's, it's, uh, it's a loss, I think. The other thing, I, I, would say, uh, the other thing I would say is that, um, that the um, Grand Trunk, sometimes if it's not paying attention and it doesn't own the Michigan, the owner, you know, it doesn't have the Michigan Southern, uh, sometimes it gets tokened out of um, Detroit in operating round 1.2 through inattention. And all I would say is don't let this happen to you. The, um, the, uh, 
The biggest downside gr- downside to Grand Trunk, besides the, the lack of tokens, in my opinion, is that you don't get to lay your first track. Um, the Michigan Southern de- determines the direction that your train company goes. Uh, some of this can be overcome if you if you start late enough to where somebody's already bought a green before you run. But if the if the Michigan Southern says we're going to Toledo, then guess what, Grand Trunk, you're going to Toledo. And if the Michigan Southern lays your home to your home tile in a way that you don't exactly want and points Detroit up toward um, toward Holland, then you're going to have some funny issues trying to uh, to to build a successful company when. Yep. So that that actually brings up a point that I wanted to touch on for each of these companies, and, and that's what privates are you really hoping to get if you want to run this company? Um, and it sounds like so. New York, we sort of touched on Lakeshore Line is obviously very good. Um, I, I imagine that, you know, depending on where you are, that we'll, we'll sort of universally be able to say CNWI um, is, is something that pretty much any company wants. I don't know if that's false in any case. If, well, I would just say is. CWI is more valuable than more players in the game because there's three players in the game. You know, it's not that hard to get a token of your first company into Chicago. There's five players a game. You can guarantee that at least one player is not going to get their first company into Chicago. Right. In a three-player game, you can make sure that if you own two companies, they can both get off the same offboard of Chicago. So right. like CNWI in a two- or three-player game is like, I'm not really all that concerned about it. In a five-player game, it becomes like critical. Uh, unless, of course, you're like the Pennsylvania who's got a bazillion tokens to start off with and starts right next to Chicago. But um, so, so what about the Grand Trunk then? So the Grand Trunk likes the CNWI because it helps with that route. It also solves the problem that uh, Avery was talking about of what if the Michigan Southern goes the wrong direction. You can just buy in the uh, CNWI token and start building east. And by the time you need to care about it, almost certainly a green train has been bought. And it's an extra token for a company that has very few tokens. Right. Yeah. right. And the Michigan Southern obviously is valuable. I'll mention that if you have the Grand Trunk of the Michigan Southern and you don't have interference from other players, which you might often have, particularly if there's no Pennsylvania in the game, um, you can um, run the four train east-west in operating on 1.2 uh, because the, um, the uh, Michigan Southern connects Port Huron and builds one west. The, um, the uh, the Grand Trunk buys a four train and builds two more west. The Michigan Southern connects Chicago and upgrades it to green and runs for 80. And then the um, the Grand Trunk uh, buys that Michigan Southern in, uh, upgrades Detroit, and runs uh, east-west. So you need both of those companies or help from another player to do that. Or as long as uh, Pennsylvania or the CNWI don't jump in front of you. Correct. Right. Right. And there's the interference that Eric was talking about. I also really like um, the uh, Steamboat because uh, it's really easy to get a, a token down in, in Toledo. Um, so you can token Toledo and run a, a two, either two trains from Toledo to Detroit or two trains from Toledo to Detroit, one to Cleveland. Or There's a lot of uh, big money opportunities if you can get into Toledo right. with uh, the Steamboat. And even if you get uh, blocked out of Toledo, you still can use it in Chicago Connections. It's not as good, but it's not useless. Or in Holland. Um, or in Holland, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I've the, never the seen Michigan, the Holland thing happen with, with Steamboat. You know, the, um, the uh, Michigan Central seems like it would be attractive for Grand Trunk, but I never seem to find myself using that. Right. Almost so, why, so with that run being as good as it is, why is it not 
built often and in what situation would you look for getting uh the michigan central and building to holland in the first set of ors well, if set- i had steam if i had steamboat and for some reason the greens didn't break um you know it's like if the greens don't break everybody's poor but you're going to be running a train for a hundred dollars and maybe another train f- at least to detroit and green for sixty dollars that's 160 bucks in yellow it's also a lot of capital to uh to only get one or two runs that are valuable um because your your yeah your first run is going to be great running from I mean theoretically you can run from Detroit to Holland which is really cool but um, right. but you only get paid on it once and if you don't maneuver it at the right time it gets stuck there for your for your last run which is the first one after after Brown's cracked which could be the most important run of of the steamboat basically you're building track that's going to be useless late in the game when Holland right. goes down to a ten. So is all, is Holland then always sort of a trap for new players? Do you no. think? No, because new players okay. almost never build. Let's to talk it. about Holland. Is it is it ever good? Yes, it's it's very rarely, but occasionally very good, and but that's very rare. There's certain things that you rarely see that are valuable in rare situations. Um, I'll mention uh, running Centralia twice to St. Louis with two trains and meatpacking. Um, we haven't got to ick, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I've been in a game where that made sense. In fact, I ran, had three two trains and ran to St. Louis with meatpacking, St. Louis to meatpacking in Louisville, which is pretty good when uh, all we had was 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 yellow trains. Hmm. All right, so I guess let's move on to to ick then. That's a great segue. Uh, let's let's talk about ick and it and its love for meatpacking and potentially the big four. Maybe I don't know. Is that it loves tokens? It needs a token. If you're running, um, so the, like Eric said, the token can be the um, the meatpacking. But if it doesn't have a teleport and it doesn't have the meatpacking, you're going to be running. F- you're you're not going to get that double jump. Like it's almost impossible. So the the key of, of Illinois Central is that is all the extra um, cash that you get from from the the government subsidy, um, the extra share value that you get. Uh, when you set the presidency because it starts in Cairo, which is awful. It's a $20 city that never moves up from a 20 or not Cairo. Yeah. Cairo, right? Yes. Cairo, yep. 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 And then it goes to um, the city that I can't even Centralia. Centralia. Yeah, Centralia yep. Garbage $10 city that never upgrades to $10 city. So now you, you either need it to be green. I don't know, man, if you're tr- trying to run more than one train, I don't know where you're, where you're trying to, you're having to build an, a lot of track and upgrade a lot of track to get to like Terre Haute Indy just so that you can run for $20 value cities. Meanwhile, the every other company in the game has access to a Z city, which is already way more money. The um the problem with the ick is that it starts in an area where there's no track and there's nobody who wants to build track, as Avery said. Um, with the ick, you have to say, how am I going to get to civilization, um, <laughs> namely a place where there's cities that are worth something and track that's 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 connected. And if you have a teleport, the ick is a, a fine choice if you have the MS because you spend a lot of money. Um, it's a pretty good choice. You have the CNWI, especially in a big game. Um, and even the big four with the ONI will get you east pretty well. But um, if you just get stars in your eyes thinking about how much capital you're going to have with the ick, um, you'll have that capital. You'll be able to buy all the trains you want, but where are you going to run them? That's the big problem with the ick. 
Yeah, I really like starting the Michigan Southern because the problem with starting the Michigan Southern is like the huge initial investment that you have to make as a player. Uh, but that gets kind of balanced out by the CNWI because of the huge cash infusion that you get into the company from this subsidy so that when you buy the Michigan Southern from yourself, you're really, instead of having to like purchase a private from yourself, like every other company in the game is having to do, you, uh, the government is purchasing that private from you on behalf of the company. Right. So it, I think it's fair to say then that a, that the a new player who sits down at the board and says, oh, I'm going to start the ick, and then they look at the board and see all these little oh, $0 track lays that run up to Chicago and chase those is probably in for some pain if they're playing yes. as anyone who knows how to um, to make a little bit of money. If you want to run a two train from Centralia to Chicago for $20, more power to you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Um. Okay. Even if you get to Chicago and it's green, that's still only $40. There's, there's just not enough money there. Right. I'll also mention with the ick that people have this tendency to want to always start the ick high. But um, sometimes um, if you have a number of privates, you start the ick low so you can get a fair number of shares. And the ick money, as Avery referred to, allows you to buy into your privates, which you couldn't have done if you'd had a, another corporation. Also, the, the fewer, the more number of shares that you can keep in your own pocket and in the, um, in the company's pocket, rather than going into the bank pool by issuing them, the better off you are. Because like while you're getting the same capital either way, I would rather when I pay out to be paying it all to myself and my company rather than to uh, the bank. Right. So the ick almost like automatically gets to keep an extra share in treasury. Yeah. Or two, depending on what or you're doing. Yep. So what about the PRR? So the PRR has as an important feature um, two things. One is that it has a Fort Wayne teleport that's pretty cheap. It's only $60. And uh, that is close to the, um, the hot uh, Chicago to Detroit uh, east-west run. Um, the other thing it has is five stations, but that's mostly useful late in the game. So I don't typically start the Pennsylvania uh, if I'm not planning to use that teleport. Um, but uh, you have to watch out because you can use the Fort Wayne teleport and then wind up building to Chicago and Toledo. And then you realize that you've got a six long east-west route. And, um, you know, there are no six, six long trains available until Brown when a 4-6 comes out. So uh, if, you're, if you've got meatpacking, that's the, the one that I most uh, uh, associate with the Pennsylvania. Um, Pennsylvania is close there. And if you time your your play in the first two operating hours, right? You can get in there to Chicago, lay a token, run meatpacking two or sometimes even three times. Oh, that can be really valuable. So you're you're laying a token in Fort Wayne, one in Chicago, you're running Chicago to Chicago Connections, Chicago, uh, Chicago to... to Fort Wayne, and then sometimes the other Fort Wayne direction can go into Chicago again. Right. And you run Green Chicago three times at 70. Yeah. That's a, that's not bad. So the Pennsylvania is like the inverse of the Grand Trunk for me, where it's uh, it's not all that great in a three-player game. It's really hard because it's really hard to get off the ground. Because uh, the, what the Pennsylvania is really good at is two strong suits. It's good at intercepting track because of its teleport to the exact middle of the map. And the other thing that it's good at is tokening everywhere. And so a three-player game where there's not very many tokens on the board, who cares if you have tokens? But in a five-player game, some... Sometimes the Pennsylvania is the only one that can secure two east to west routes because of the extra tokens that it has. So it's more about the player count for Pennsylvania for me than it is about the privates that I get for it. 
Yep. I, you know, I, I've never factored uh, player count as heavily as you guys are. And, and I've noticed that it's, you know, at, at lower player count, it's easier to get where I want, but, um, and, and, and therefore sometimes won't, won't token as quickly. Right. But it's, it's interesting to hear you guys talk about companies specifically like, you know, at a higher low player count, this gets stronger or weaker. And it makes a lot of sense, but it's not something that I had considered until it was pointed out to me. So cool. The other thing is um, that if you're planning to run slash trains uh, late in the game, uh, Homewood is not so bad because as long as you have another token on the route, right. um, you just skip Homewood. And uh, Pennsylvania does have two east connections um, that uh, go to Pittsburgh, which is one of the good east um, offboards. Um, so sometimes you see somebody running, um, you know, maybe two routes, um, you know, out of Homewood. Uh, you have to get a, a token or a, an empty spot in Cleveland to make that work. But Pennsylvania is not uncommonly a later game uh, start. Right. N- not as often. I-, I think generally like early game companies I, I tend to see is New York, Ick, Grand Trunk, B&O, I think. Yeah, and like, big player count, you'll, you'll see Pennsylvania get started um, along with the the powerhouse traditional companies. The, the Illinois Central, the Michigan Southern, the Grand Trunk get started most games. Um, and then the others rotate through, except for CNO, which like never starts. Um, we're going to get to that. We'll get Let's, to that. We're going to talk about CNO at the end. <laughs> but, but Pennsylvania in a five-player game, because it can get out to Fort Wayne, because it has an easy route to Cleveland, um, because it has some... It has it just has a lot of flexibility, and it can often just like piggyback on everybody else's track, so it can it can find its way into routes a lot easier in a five player game. So in a five player game, it's a it's a good early company, and lower player counts, it gets started late. Uh, all right, so then let's move on to everybody's favorite yellow company, the Erie. Uh, what what situations? I I've had major trouble with Erie where I start it and then kind of get stuck in the Salamanca Erie corner for a little bit longer than I want to. I don't have a lot of nice things to say about Erie. My, my first thing would be um, never start the Erie if you could start the New York Central. <laughs> sure. Because there's nothing about Erie that's not worse than the New York Central. Um, <laughs> however, um, I have seen a particular Erie start strategy work, and that's when um, your Erie is a relatively low capital company, and there is a New York Central in play, and you anticipate that the New York Central is going to be building track, in which case uh, it's true that you have this useless token in Salamanca. Um, you do have a cheap token in Erie, um, which is where the New York Central's token is, and you basically build um, you know, one track, maybe it's a sharp hook into Erie, um, and you token Erie, and you buy your trains, and then you let the New York Central do all the track building. Um, it's true that on the, in that case, New York Central might make it to Toledo, or maybe you both make it to Toledo, but the fact that they're building track and you don't have to because they're doing all the work, um, that can be a useful thing. So the, the the only issue that I have with like with that strategy, with that strategy in general is that you've now spent... Uh, Sixty dollars to have the same start that New York Central has. So you just right, start the they, game. But they built eighty to build all that track, and you spent sixty. So yeah. But they have three tokens left, and you only have two. two. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, so it's not it's not great. I'm not saying I would start the area if the New York Central were there, but sometimes that works. 
the Erie, um, as, as an opening company, is best started as a weapon against the New York Central to block it out of possibly any runs at all, except for the, the route that it has from Erie to uh, Buffalo. So the, but other than that, there's like nothing redeeming about it to me. So I just never start the Erie unless it's like last resort. And then I only start it if I have this teleport. So then it's just like a really bad version of Illinois Central. So starting the Erie to block the New York Central, is that, is that shooting? Yes. Shooting the other player through your own foot? I mean, yes. Yes. what yes. would you actually want to do that? It's the fastest way to turn a four-player game into a two-player game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Start the Erie. Yeah. Okay. I would rather start the CNO. I will say that. You will see people do that because you play with all sorts of people who might not think the way we do. Yeah. So if you're the New York Central player, you got to think about the possibility, what if the Erie gets started below me? What would I do then? And if the answer is you could be totally screwed and you don't trust your opponent to not do that, then think about that. So if you're playing with somebody that you know really doesn't like you, don't start the New York Central. <laughs> when, I'm, uh, when, I'm, when I'm playing and I'm starting the New York Central, uh, but I know that there's the eerie threat in the game, I'm comfortable doing it because I know that the game's only going to last an hour and 15 minutes and then I can start a new one. Right. I only have to suffer for a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it's sort of like what I say about uh, dumping companies in 1846, which is dumping a company is a good way to finish second to last. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, using the Erie for the New York Central blocking strategy is also a good way to finish second to last. But back to your point, Erica, about talking about the private companies, all of the things that we said for New York Central are also good for the Erie, just on a lesser degree. Right. Right. Yeah, I was going to say Lakeshore Line, Teleports. O&AI. Oh, yeah, right. O&I. Okay. Mail contract, it's fine. Right. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on. We've hurt the Erie's feelings enough. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the uh, B&L. Avery, do you want to kick that off? Yeah. Um, it's really hard to start the B&O by teleporting to Cincinnati, but you can do it. So that is uh, something interesting that you can try. Uh, it's especially useful... Um, if you are at that weird, uh, if you're not going to get the two, the two trains that you want, so you can teleport out there and, and just run your, a two train off a single two train off board. And then your three, five can run to Cincinnati, um, St. Louis and oh, not St. Louis. Um, hang on. What's the, what's the city I'm thinking of? Louisville. Yeah. Louisville. Yeah. No, you told me about Cincinnati, run to Louisville and then up to Terre Haute. Right. Um, but the most common way to start BNO is by starting BNO with the steamboat and then running two trains to the two offboards for a lot of for nineteen dollars. And you really like to have two trains if you start the BNO with steamboat. Yeah, two two trains specifically. Right. But I will mention another strategy you can do with the BNO if you have the big four. You can run the big four pointing uh, one of the tracks out of Indianapolis east or possibly southeast. And then you buy the big four in. Oh, we didn't mention, but usually I want to buy the big four in and operating around 1.1 because that two train is going to be more useful yes. in the corporation. But in your first operating round with a B&O, you build to um, Cincinnati and token it for $40, uh, pointing the other direction down to Louisville. And in the second operating round, you connect to Louisville, perhaps upgrading um, uh, Cincinnati, and then you run Cincinnati to Louisville for 10 a share, and you run Cincinnati to um, to uh, uh, Indianapolis for 7 a share. That's 17, which isn't as good as 19, but it's not bad. And plus, you didn't have to buy one of those two trains because it came from the um, the big four. 
BNO also has access to that um, that Pittsburgh off board that um, we were talking about for uh, the Pennsylvania. That it usually ends up being a pretty decent late game company if it can get past the initial hurdle of the really terrible capitalization situation that it runs into when everybody snaps up all the shares. Right. But if you have the steamboat, um, somebody might just with a big four running in front of you might just launch the BNO um, without steamboat to do that secondary strategy through Cincinnati to Louisville. And then you just have to be prepared to use the steamboat in one of the other ways that it can be used. And yeah, that was my question is really like the BNO seems like there it comes with prerequisites, right? If you want to start it in the beginning of the game, you need steamboat or you need the big four. And outside of that, I guess you can kind of do you can do the seed and WI thing like anybody, but it, yeah, I wouldn't generally start the BNO unless I had Steamboat or Big Four. Yeah, not because you can't, but just because why would you? Like, there's right. going to be a better option, right? Right. Can you talk a little bit about why tunnel blasting makes that uh, the Steamboat and BNO even better? What do you do? Because there's a lot of mountains around Wheeling, its home. So first of all, Wheeling has a mountain. And then if you want to go either west or northwest, which are the only two directions you can go, those are mountains. So tunnel blasting costs the BNO $60 to buy in, and almost certainly it's going to save you at least $40 and maybe more. Some people I see build from Wheeling all the way to Cincinnati, going through the mountains, therefore not going through Dayton or Columbus. And if you do that, you're going to be at least saving $80, plus the fact that tunnel blasting earns $20 an operating round in revenue. So if you look at where there are mountains on the board, there are some up near the Grand Trunk and there are some around B&O and Pennsylvania. But, you know, for example, if you've got the ick, you probably don't need tunnel blasting. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's deceiving to look at the mountains sometimes with the tunnel blasting because that just makes that a normal track light. Right. It's, Except for the sixty dollar one just next to Cincinnati, and that's right. actually, that's forty, but it's not too bad. Yeah, I would I would usually rather have an extra share of the BNO though than uh, than buy the tunnel blasting in the uh, initial auction if I if I had the opportunity. Like if if the Michi- if I have the opportunity between tunnel blasting and I'm planning on starting the BNO, or I can take a pass, I'll usually take a pass because the the share of BNO is going to pay me as much, and it can save me from having to issue. Interesting. All right. So let's talk about the redheaded stepchild. Hey. What are you, redheaded? I'm a redheaded and stepchild. <laughs> All right. So we're talking about Avery. <laughs> like I just said. No. Uh, let's talk about... Sorry. Is that a very insensitive thing to say? I, it probably is, isn't it? <laughs> no, but, but, but I, um, I take offense on behalf of the CNO because Erie is worse. Okay. All right. I will never uh, it, in my mind, I've always I've always seen uh, CNO as the worst company in the game. Um, so let's hear why it's not. So it's bad. It's bad. It's a bad company. It's a bad one to start. Um, but as we've talked about earlier, there's a lot of bad companies. There's, there's several bad companies to start. Um, the Erie's a bad company to start. The Pen can be a bad company to start. And the BNO can be a bad company to start. The CNO is a bad company to start. Um, so there's two is's. <laughs> The Erie and CNO are both definitely always bad companies to start, um, unless you're just trying to kneecap one player. But the the CNO as a second company has a blue ocean to swim in. It has uh, Cincinnati, which is very rarely tokened. It can go up to Dayton. It has it can it has a way out. Um, half the games that I play with Erie, Cleveland's token out, and now Erie runs from its offboard to Salamanca to Erie 
to uh, Cleveland as it's, you know, you're running a six train as a four train and you can't ever find a way out. So that's why I hate the Erie more than CNO. But the CNO is fine. I mean, it's it's a generic company if it has a teleport. Uh, if you have tunnel blasting, then you can get out to um, Cincinnati ra rather quickly. And as we were talking about with the big four strategies uh, or the BNO strategies, if you get from Cincinnati down to Louisville, you're looking at some pretty decent runs. Now, I'm not recommending anybody start it, but I'm just saying it's it's not all that bad. Another thing to be aware of, I have never started the CNO in operating round, in stock round one, just so you know. But um, but if you start it later in the game and there's track on the board and there's not a lot of track around uh, Cincinnati, you can kind of hook up toward wheeling and hook into the track possibly that the BNO has built in the hex just west of wheeling. And that might give you access to the whole network. And you might then, in operating round, the first operating round for the CNO, you might be able to drop a token in a valuable spot and then forget you ever heard about um, Huntington <laughs> and just go on and play with three tokens. Right. I've been in a scenario where I've been stuck choosing between Erie, BNO, and CNO to start the game. When I get that, I choose the CNO because um, if I have a teleport, then I, it just has better track options further down the game. Yep. Okay. The thing to be said about the CNO is it's not as bad in all cases as some other ones. Right. But it's a bad company. So we should mention also that we're, we're airing this prior to the um, anticipated expansion that, that's going to come along with uh, 1833NE from GMT Games, which I have heard whispers of uh, a new private, an expansion private that makes the CNO possibly more viable. We don't know much more than that. Um, that this this all may change uh, with that. Coming we'll uh, do a new episode when that happens. Absolutely. Yep. Hopefully, it's enough to talk about. Um, okay, so we've covered all the com companies. Uh, good job, everybody. So, one question, and we've we've touched upon this sort of on talking about general strategies for each of the companies. Uh, one of my major downfalls when I play forty six. I think maybe overvaluing Chicago or not knowing when I need to be in Chicago and when I don't. So I know everybody generally looks at Chicago as a $90 city and re required to get a lot of the East West runs. So most people want to get into Chicago. How important is Chicago? When do you need to be in Chicago and when is it okay? You know, when can you win the game without going through Chicago? Well, Chicago just depends because if you're the only one in Chicago, then Chicago is terrible because it's a 10 city. It doesn't really have any close connections that are valuable. Uh, it's really hard to get multiple routes into or out of Chicago. So upgrading it isn't as impactful as upgrading your other. I mean, even though it jumps 30, uh, like you could be running three trains out of Cleveland and that so that jumps 30 as well. So if you're the only person in like I've been in games in many games where it's like gray and Chicago is still worth 10 because nobody's built out there. But if people are building there, then it becomes this, the center of the entire game. So one thing I will say is that um, the efficiency of Chicago east-west routes varies by game, uh, especially if, the, if you have the, um, the, the Pennsylvania in the game, you potentially could have up to four players dealing with Chicago, the one that has the CNWI, the Pennsylvania, the one that has the Michigan Southern and the Grand Trunk, they can all be heading for Chicago. And um, if that's happening, it's not uncommon to see that none of them actually succeeds in a hurry. You can get to stock round three and nobody has built an east-west, has run an east-west run yet. 
Um, and especially in those cases, you might be better off being the player that says, forget about Chicago. I'm building in the green fields to the south. In particular, I would say I've seen either the Ick or the New York Central um, run two east-west runs from St. Louis to Buffalo. Um, the New York Central starts with a token in Erie, and the Ick can put a token in the Erie in Erie if the Erie is not in the game or if the great trades break before the Erie gets in there to put a token. And you run, you know, train from Buffalo to Erie to Cleveland to let's say Indianapolis to Terre Haute to Chicago, and you can not without much trouble you can run that to, to sorry to St. Louis without much trouble you can run that twice. Now that's a six train route, so you need two gray trains, but um, or a four six. Or a four six, right? And uh, if you have the mail contract, particularly, that can be valuable because the normal northern east west routes are generally only five train routes, and so the mail contract doesn't love those as much as it loves a longer one. Now you can do east west through Chicago by starting in Buffalo or somewhere else or or Wheeling, but um, I definitely people win without um, without uh, having ability to run through to Chicago connections. There's often one of the most um, intriguing track components happens around the uh, the northeastern corner of Chicago to figure out if there's going to be three or four open token slots in Chicago. Or two. <laughs> or two, right. yes. So, um, but if nobody's going east to west, then you don't have incentive to go there. And if I'm building there first, that means that you're going to be able to piggyback off my track and steal my token slot that I'm building towards. So it becomes a, a really difficult... Um, to, to figure out how and when to build to Chicago. And it often it's just better to say, screw it, I'll just run from Detroit to Cleveland. I would say that the ideal situation for East-West is if there's two players trying to build that East-West route, uh, one with the Chicago and Western Indiana building from West-East, and the other player going the other way. And then, you know, generally you sort out the token slots. You each um, build sort of half the track. Uh, who upgrades uh, the expense of Detroit is a question, but... Um, if you got four people, it's a furball. And if you only have one, as Avery said, it's a lot of work. Right. So that also probably, uh, you know, especially what, what uh, Avery mentioned about its value, depending on how many people are building to it, that probably also means it might not always be a good decision to do the funky track lay where you bypass the city. You can, uh, the first city or the first token spot and build track that blocks one of them off permanently for the rest of the game because uh, that may make Chicago upgrade more slowly or those east-west routes build out more slowly. Yep. Um, it also helps if if, CM, if CMWI commits to, to a track and it's not toward Detroit, then it makes it a lot quicker for uh, Chicago to become active because a lot of um, the concern is the player from Detroit or players from Detroit are worried about their track getting poached by the by the whoever has CNWI by laying a, a sharp turn up north and then a gentle toward Detroit. So that now instead of me being able to upgrade Chicago to green on my run, I have to upgrade the tile in front of Chicago to green. So I don't even get to run Chicago before somebody else is already running it better than I do. Right. So if 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 somebody who has the CNWI also has like meat packing in big four and they're committing to running to um, Indianapolis, uh, to Chicago, just so that they can get like three meatpacking runs. Then I'm then it's a lot more likely that the Grand Trunk and Michigan Southern builders will uh, shoot to Chicago as much as possible, and then it becomes like the you know bustling beehive that it is today. 
All right, let's keep it moving. We have got maybe like five or six more questions that I would like to try and hit on some some capacity in some capacity, uh, and that we'll start with starting a second company. When would you want to do it? Why? When not to do it? To get brown trains. That's the number one reason to start the company. If you can, if I have four hundred and fifty dollars, I can use one of Eric's special uh, four eleven chips and get a couple brown. You know, get one or two brown trains out of it, and it's a pretty good deal. Because um, usually, when you're starting at one hundred and fifty in OR in stock round three, you're probably above most companies, so you get the first dibs at it if you have a like free shot at a brown train. The other times, I guess Eric can take the take this because he's going to say the same thing I am. Yeah, I would say, first of all, that I would rather not start a second company. Um, I'd rather have one company that's profitable, that keeps shares in treasury, paying out big dividends, that buys us two permanents without any trouble, and um, and use all my earnings to buy shares in other people's really good companies. But that strategy isn't always possible. So, um, so he's right. It's to either um, get a second train into your lead company or possibly get a first permanent train into your lead company. Um, because your lead company often has really good stations and track, but can't afford the trades to run them. Uh, other reasons are um, if you need to build routes, you get another two tiles a turn. Like if you have to bypass something or complete your east-west, two companies can do that faster than one company. Um, another reason is it gives you tokens to block other players with. That might be valuable. And finally, um, all the shares in the companies that have already been launched could be all bought up and you have certificate limit left. And then you start another company because right. almost always shares in a second company are worth more than a big pile of cash in front of you. So right. those so are the four reasons I have. I will mention that um, I did st studies for a while. I had like more than 50 games, less than 100. And um, I asked, uh, did the winner of the game were they the president of one company or two companies? And in three and four player games, it was about evenly split. But in five player games, it was extremely rare to see the winner be the president of more than one company. I don't know why that was, but that was just an interesting fact. Yeah, in five player games, the winner's the the person that can sneak out of one uh, out of stock round two without their company snapped up. Right. So something that Eric said about getting a second permanent train into your lead company. Uh, or your main company, or whatever you want to call it. A problem I've run into that when trying to open a second company to do that is that the company that I'm starting then needs to have a train. And you know, if you open an issue for 411, and you have uh, what does that end up being? It's uh, 150 times 861. 861. Thank you. Uh, so at, at 861, that's not enough to buy two permanent trains. So you're depending on either selling more shares in the treasury later to fund that future like how do you deal with that problem there's or, a couple or... of things that could happen one is you could afford to buy more than three shares another is somebody else buys in um if you're starting the company because there's nothing else to buy then often somebody else will buy in um but also you might um you might have your lead company might have some money in but not enough for a permanent train right and so you might buy a train down from the lead company even a yellow train if you're going to buy a, a brown but maybe it's a, a green train and um and now with the rest of the 861 you buy your permanent train and then you've put enough cash into the treasury of your lead company that it can afford the permanent train. Sure. So let's say your permanent train has a five and a your permanent company has a five and a four, and you can see the four is going to be going away soon. Um, you start your new company, and there, there's still a brown train left. 
you you buy a brown train and then you, you buy the four train over with most of the rest of the money. And now the lead company still has its five train and has uh, enough money to buy a brown or a gray train, depending on the circumstances. Right. Also, your trailing company still has three or four more shares that uh, three of which you can buy in the next operating round to often get another permanent train for your trailing company. Right. So, stock round. But, but right. Yeah, that's what I meant. Stock round. Yeah. All right. I'm satisfied with those answers. You know, I just want to point out that in many 18xx games like 1830, uh, almost you have to have a second company. And so people who are used to other 18xx games often just think like in other games, it's a race to get that second company. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, OK, you've twisted my arm enough. I need a second company. I've got to start it. But uh, I'm yeah. never saying that's my goal. The second company is often a weapon for building track, for building tokens, and for stealing trains. Uh, but all that all comes at a cost because your second company is going to run for less than everybody else's. Uh, yep. So you're investing money in, you know, much worse assets than everybody else is buying. And now, you're... unless there's nothing else to buy, right? Unless there's nothing else to buy, and then. Um, so you're basically just taking out a loan that you're paying slow interest on in order to borrow enough money yep. to buy a permanent train for your good company and hoping it pays you back in the long run. I see, Eric, you skipped over a question about cross-investing. And Ooh. so I just want to make a couple of comments on that, um, which is at, at any time in a game, a company sort of has an ideal amount of capital that it wants to have in order to buy the trains at once and in order to build the infrastructure track and stations at once. And I would say um, the first thing in the first stock round that makes me want to cross invest is if I see that um, putting all my money into my own company is going to leave it with more capital than it needs. And um, that means I've just pulled shares out of treasury. This is what Avery was talking about. Um, I'd much rather put the amount in that I think I need and then use extra money buying share a share of somebody else's company that um, that looks like a good choice. You have to watch about having your company stolen. but but um, that's the first reason to do cross-investing. Um, a consideration in cross-investing is, um, does the person in whom you're thinking of cross-investing, does their company without your cross-investment going to have the right amount of capital, too much capital or too little capital? If you invest cross-invest in a company that's going to have too little capital without your cross-investment, you've just solved your opponent's problem for you <laughs> for, and for them. And you might not want to do it because it might be too good for them. If they're going to have too much capital, then by cross-investing, you give them even more too much capital. Now, this could have the problem of um, you know, hurting one player and hurting you too. But So you have to make sure you're also cross-investing in a company that you expect to make good money. But I just want to make those comments. Yeah, it probably also depends on the position of the player that you're enabling. Because if, if they're a player that's not as much competition for you right. based on your current, your current position in the game, then it may be worth helping them to help yourself. But if they're the lead player, you, you probably don't want to do it. Unless it might be hurting them and helping you at the same time. That would be great. Right, if it hurts them, yeah. So a way that I think about it, which has helped, I know my some of, some of my friends that have played with me in person, is that um, if you think about all the company, the shares that your company has as, as shares that you own, and you think about all the shares that you have as shares that you own, um, if you, if you buy a share of your own company, then you still have 10 shares. But if you buy a share of somebody else's, you now have 11. So all of the money that your company is going to pay out is going to come from, is going to come from you one way or the other, either by not yep. paying dividends to you or by you investing that money in, into your company. And so if you can 
keep more shares by buying somebody else's shares. Like if, if my company's paying out 24 and yours is paying out 21, I still might buy your share anyway, just so that I can put another $24 into your own company's treasury. Exactly. And the yep. stock bumps. Yep. So while we're talking about stock round tactics, when would you want to buy treasury shares from your company versus buying them out of the bank pool? The general rule of thumb, which is, isn't, I mean, it's general, so it's, there's always exceptions, but the general rule of thumb is when you buy them from, from your own company, you're buying them out of the market. When you're buying them from somebody else's, you're buying them out of the treasury. Uh, there's some exceptions like Erica was talking about, like you don't want to save somebody's train problem. You don't want to buy somebody's permanent train for them by giving them cash. Uh, but you do want to rescue your shares, um, if you, if you can. So the, Generally, if I if I can rescue all of the shares out of the market, then I'll just buy up all those. If not, it becomes a decision on based on capital. Because if I buy them from the company, then I'm really just going to redeem those for the same price I just bought them for anyway. So what about passing to see if someone buys one from the pool that then would enable you to, to save the company? Do you ever employ that tactic? If you pass, you can get stuck without shares if other people pass. Like that's a big risk to pass. Always you have to think about in 18xx and in St. Petersburg, you have to think about if I pass <laughs> and everybody else passes, will I be happy or will I be very unhappy? Right. And if the answer sure. is very unhappy, then don't pass. Well, I'm talking about, about that risk with, you know, how likely it is for everybody else to pass because if they all have money on the table as well. Well, right. if they all have money on the table, then you say, well, I won't be unhappy if they all pass because they're going to be hurt as much or more than I am. Right. Sure. I, I guess you know, my suggestion was... If there's somebody was, with $350, uh, you're probably okay spending your last 90 You're passing with your last $90 because chances are they're not going to pass out $350. My, my, my situation that I was suggesting that in was stock round starts and you have three shares in the pool and you can't afford three, but you can afford two and everybody's got all their cash for the stock round ready to go. Do you pass? No, you buy somebody else's share. Yeah, uh, buy, buy somebody else's share. Company. Because well, it's not a company that they already they just started this operating round. This right. round. Yeah. You want to be able to sell it. And it's not a company that, that you could likely get dumped on you and it, it while it's a toxic asset. Because your eventual goal before you pass in the in the stock round to begin with is to, like I said earlier, to ha- make sure everybody has you, there's one of everybody's shares in the bank pool that aren't yours. So the first thing I do is I buy up one of Brocious's shares, one of Eric, one of Canister. I don't even know what your last name is. Hayden, oh. Eric Hayden. Hayden. We say it at the start of the podcast. Yeah, but I, I don't listen to the start. I only listen after the music. <laughs> um, one of Johnny's shares. And then now that's what, th- those are the three shares that I buy while I'm waiting to see how the rest of the table plays out. And then I will dump one back to buy up one of mine if I can rescue my company. All right. So this is a major point of difference that I've noticed between your general philosophies, Avery, and like Eric's group. I don't, think, Eric, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I don't think I've seen your group do a whole lot of selling things into the market to, to tank value. I think most people are happier to own the share and, and watch it pay you. Yes. Yeah. That, and that's that I find interesting because it seems objectively better to do the thing that you're talking about, Avery. Um, but it is meaner. <laughs> it, it is. It also adds that the other thing is it adds length to the game because everybody... It, it adds, um, normally in 1846, if you're playing without doing this, then the stock rounds go very quickly where everybody just snaps up the best shares and then you can move on to the operating rounds. But if, if everybody else is doing this, then it adds a layer of uh, maneuvering to how can I be the last one to sell by 
uh, after everybody else has sold bide so that I can be the only person to leave the stock round without taking a stock hit? Well, what I would say is, um, first of all, I don't object to meanness. I mean, we're trying to win the game here. Um, sure. But I would say, um, if I if my company isn't just obviously a great company, then I'll often wait till buy up to 60%. So that if Avery does his trick, um, I can then sell something of somebody else's and buy that share out of the market. Uh, if my company is a great company and he has stock in it and he decides to sell it, um, I figure, you know, he's giving up that income. I'm about to pay $65 a share and double jump. Um, he sells and I, you know, I pay $65 a share and double jump. Well, it's true that I'm further down than I was, but he might never get that share back depending on the, the uh, order of play. I will say that the tactic is is, on, is only really important in ORs two and three. Yeah, once companies are really good, you you sell those shares, you wind up uh, buying the share in the new, newly floated CNO instead, and that's not what you want to do. Yeah, and it seems that strategy is, is probably, the power of that strategy is highly dependent on groupthink, because if you're the only player doing it, then you're probably just left out in the cold while everybody snatches up all the good shares. Um, so... Well, also, if you're the only, know. only player doing it, then you're the only player whose company's not being devalued while everybody else's is. That, right. If everybody's doing it, it kind of evens out, right? Usually, you make that stock value back um, by double jumping when you would have single jumped otherwise. Now, it is true that it can reduce the amount of capital that goes into your company because you wind up selling your shares eventually at a lower price, even if you buy them back. So, I mean, it can have an effect, but... I also um, don't see companies not double jumping all that often, I guess. Like okay. maybe, maybe like half pay double jumps. How, how high the prices of the lead companies? What, what, what would you say, Avery, is the typical stock price of um, the company that has the highest stock value at the end of the game? At the end of the game? Oh, man, yeah. that, uh, that varies pretty wildly, but somewhere usually between the 360 and 400 mark. Okay, because we not uncommonly see... And we usually play five sets of operating rounds. Um, we not uncommonly see, you know, 440 or 475. And, you know, it's usually hard to double jump from um, four, you know, four, uh, 410 yes. to, I'm trying to think of how it goes. It's at 375, 405, 440. Yeah, the, from four, it's hard to double jump from 405 or from 375. The stock penalties are... are are just as bad though when you're dropping somebody's value from 80 to 70 as they are. I mean, the, the end result of them is, is yep, possibly yep, even worse when yep. you're doing it. In, yep. No, I'm not discounting that it can be useful. In most games that in two thirds, over two thirds of the games that I've played, there's been a sixth op, uh, stock round. So okay. it's also like a very different table style, which is why I really want to play with Eric's group sometime. Yep. Yeah, I think most of the time it's five with, with the games that I've played, but I, I've been sort of nurtured by Eric's group and have absorbed a lot of their strategies, so I see that a lot more often. It's interesting. And, and I just play with random people on the internet. Yeah, that that I wonder about what... Um, I mean, that has a huge impact, right? You've got really good random players, and you've got brand new people who are just trying the game out, and, um, and Eric has a very consistent group, so that has a huge impact on the game, and that's, that's interesting. Um, a question that I want answered because if I can, I doubt anyone's actually going to be able to answer it because if you could, then I think you just win the game all the time. But how do you most reliably end with two permanent trains in your lead company? 
like it's easy. You you build a big company and then you use mind control radar to keep anybody from buying stock in it other than you. Yeah, that's easy. Either than figure out the mind control radar, it's easy. Is there any kind of a reliable thing that helps your probability of of ending in that situation? No. Damn. Sometimes you can cleverly look like not the best company. Which is what Joe Rishanan is good at? No, no. Joe Huber is good at it. Oh, Joe Huber is good at it. Okay. Sometimes you can have the highest valued uh, company leaving OR 2.2 and have priority deal and have 50% in your own company and be able to start a new company with four shares at 150 and then you can get three permanent chains. It's simple. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah. And, and, and. Right. Okay. Well, that was worth a shot. <laughs> uh, so don't par low. That's how, that's the easiest, the hardest thing to do to get two trains is if you par in below 60, you're going to have a really hard time getting two permanent trains. I can promise that. Right. The problem is if Eric and Avery could answer that question, every 18xx player, because they all clearly listen to our podcast, would all have the answer and it wouldn't work anymore. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Certainly won't work for all of them because only one person can win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, a really good way to get two permanent trains in your company while not parring low is a, is a bad way to get them. Uh, parring extremely high is a really great way to, like parring at 112 is a really great way to get two permanent trains in your company. It's also the best way to lose because you're never going to be able to buy shares. Right, everyone's, right. yeah, you're going to split your company, your two permanent trains evenly across the table pretty much. Yeah. My very first game of 1846 um, I started the ick at 137 because I had 280. And I said, ah, oh, I'm going to make a great company. I'm going to start at 137. And it was a by far the best company of the game. But like in stock round three, I looked over. I had four shares of Vic, and Joe Huber had four shares of Vic, and you know, five shares of B&O and a couple of shares of something else. And I thought, yeah, I don't think I'm going to win this game. Yeah. So it's important to know that um, being the president of the best company is by no means you know, highly correlated with winning. Okay. The games that I've lost by the largest margin, I've run the best company, but I, I was so far behind in shares because of that. At least you were a public servant. <laughs> yeah, and it makes you feel good because you're like, look what I did. <laughs> do, do you guys have a couple of war stories of the, the craziest things that you've seen? Maybe not like I played with a new player and he did this really stupid thing, but successfully weird strategies that you've seen that you maybe you hadn't seen before. Or very rarely see? Uh, I remember all of the the times that I learned the opening strategy. Like when I learned the opening strategy for um, for Pennsylvania to to jump out to Fort Wayne and snipe Chicago from both the CNWI and the people building from Toledo. Like I remember that game. That was uh, Dr. Awesome. His name is Andy. And he, he showed me that. Like I remember when I was in um, Chattanooga and the first time I saw somebody snipe uh the um detroit track from the cnwi token but i don't like the late game crazy maneuvers all kind of blend together because the in half the games the late game is determined before you get there and then the other half it's like there's so much jostling for position that it, it all kind of gets kind of crazy i would say that i re- i've written a number of session reports on bgg that have unusual things and, uh, you know, usually I write them about games I win because if I lose, I'm often somewhat confused. But if I win, <laughs> it means I was thinking about the game better. But um, certainly one unusual strategy, which I've seen twice in this tournament out of four games, is somebody starts the New York Central and buys four shares. Um, 
for for sorry for train for two trains, trains starting yeah. them at like fifty or sixty dollars, and um, certainly when that happens, when somebody else does it, I think how fast can I get to a brown train? But uh, that's interesting. I did have a game where I started the New York Central with mail contract and Lakeshore Line, and I started at seventy, bought four shares, and um, and uh, bought four two trains, and I ran for thirty dollars a share and operating around one point two. And then I um, launched the uh, Erie at $90, bought three shares, and the Erie um, bought a two-train off the New York Central and allowed the New York Central to buy all its shares back. It was kind of a a cool game. The other one that I I was thinking about was um, I've had a couple of games where I did not run a company late in the game and and won the game. So that was kind of cool, where I think at least one of them, I was, I think both of them, I was running the B&O. And during the operating rounds two one and two two, I just decided I have priority. Um, why don't I just full pay and let the next player decide how they're going to fund a permanent train? So that's kind of cool. Sold off your B and O. Yep. <laughs> so I, I have one one final question actually before we wrap up because I know Eric Hayden has seen this and knows the answer, but I don't know that I have. What is the Eric Brocious special? The <laughs> there's there's apparently a move or sequence of moves that you are famous for. So the Eric Brocious maneuver, which other people no doubt have done, uh, is uh, with the C and WI, you put a sharp and a gentle uh, getting in front of uh, Chicago East and head East. And then the player coming toward you um, and you jointly build track. Avery referred to that. Yeah, Scott Ellis was the first person I saw that did it, but I'm sure you did it first. Well, Eric, it's, isn't it specifically when like someone is building up to you to in, intending to get it to Chicago and you usually playing with a newer player? You did this to me, actually, the first time we played in person at um, TotalCon uh, Total last year. You you teleported in and you went whoop and, and connected to my track and said, you have to upgrade now to get into here. That's what I've associated with it. It's not so bad if you're the if you're the other player. It does slow you down a little bit, perhaps. But I'm not doing it to hurt them. I'm doing it to get myself an east-west run. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's also the Michael Chook maneuver, which is, uh, Avery also referred to that, connecting uh, Cairo to St. Louis with two tracklays. Um, because you have a teleport with the ick, um, but you think you're going to have one more two-train than you... Um, then you can use so that's a nice seventy dollar two train run to go along with what else whatever else you're doing or if you have meat pack and hundred dollar two train run true because you 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 really don't want to get centralia in that if you can avoid it right i will say i never token centralia unless the game stays in yellow much longer than usual Uh, i i had a game with meat packing and i bought two two trains and the first or I built to Centralia and then east to St. Louis. and Or maybe I bought three two trains. And the second OR I built, I don't remember exactly how it went. But in, in any case, uh, you, you know, if, if, if you're going to play in yellow, then you took a Centralia. Otherwise, I never do it except maybe to block somebody else's route. Okay, yeah. Um, so I guess, is there anything that those are pretty much all the questions that we wanted to hit. I think we hit most of them in some form if we didn't ask them explicitly. Um, is there anything that you guys wanted to say about the game or you, you've got airtime here? If you want to plug anything, go ahead. So um, the, the, the like edicts that I, that I run by um, that I think all, all new players should be aware of um, experience, but players will know this already, but um, are, 
make sure you can double jump in OR 1.2. Like absolutely, if you take away one thing from this podcast, double jump in 1.2. Uh, the other things are uh, like Toledo's more important, a token in Toledo is more important than a token in Cleveland or Detroit. So you'll the more games you play, the more you'll come to see that almost, almost always. Uh, there are exceptions to that. And what was the other one? Oh yeah, don't don't buy more trains than you need. Um, I know a lot of this is ca- contrary to a lot of people that buy as many trains as they can run, but I am a firm believer in don't buy more trains than you need. That makes good sense. I like them all. Although I will say, counterpoint to the Toledo thing, it's a funny thing about this game is that if you're playing with a set of rules in your mind that says the right thing to do is token Toledo, uh, you might just find yourself out in the cold getting cleveland tokened out right i mean like different groups value different things differently so it's yeah but if three people drop a token in cleveland then you then three people aren't dropping a token in detroit i I will say that i've played a couple of games where toledo had no tile on it at the end of the game yeah it's funny it's definitely a key choke point um but i i see like i don't know if it's quite half the games that i'm playing but it's weird it's like is this going to be a toledo game or, or a cleveland game i don't know that's that and happens. Fort Wayne can be, I mean, I sorry, Indianapolis and even Fort Wayne can be very important choke points. It's just weird. It's just how, how things go. Yeah. Obviously the game has a lot of variety, but not to discount your, your advice, Avery. I agree with it. Yeah. But, uh, Eric, anything from you? All I would say is, uh, you know, I would try not to, I would try not to spend too much or too little on privates. Uh, I have a little bit of a different range than, than Avery does. You know, I would say I generally want to have at least 200 coming out of the draft and not more than 300. I don't always succeed in that, but I don't mind starting with 220. And the other thing is I usually want to par my first company between 60 and 100. Okay. But sometime I'll, I'll show you some really cool uh, parring at 40 strat- strategies. Yeah, there. I just don't. I just, just you know, <laughs> it is cool. <laughs> it just seems crazy in a way. Yep. We'll have, to, we'll have to start up a game with the four of us so yep. Eric yep. and I can be the cannon fodder while we see the two of you battle it out. I will make the game right now. <laughs> and we'll play at whatever <laughs> pace we play at. Sounds um, good to me. As long as you make a move at least once every two weeks, Eric, we'll be okay. I, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, no 15-day gaps like 18 mag. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a different ball game entirely. Or 1867, right? 61. Oh yeah, sixty-one. Oh, that was a different thing too. <laughs> We're not that kind of a slow players. Like I, I've, I think I've gotten through two games of twenty-two MX in, I don't know, four weeks now. Um, over the holidays and stuff, it's like not super fast, but you know, it's a decently long game. Yeah, I guess with that, we'll wrap it up. I really appreciate you two coming on with us. The the amount of combined collective wisdom that the two of you have about eighteen forty-six is very impressive, and hopefully, a lot of people will get something out of this episode. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was nice to meet you, Avery. Yeah, nice to meet you, Eric. I think Avery and I agreed on most of the stuff. I agree. I was surprised. I thought we were going to have. I thought we were going to be a lot more combative. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, hope to see you all as part of season three of the of the tournament that's been going on. That's been a lot of fun. Highly recommend. Um, if you want to see some people do some crazy different stuff that your group isn't usually doing, uh, that's a good way to do it. And to meet some folks, he's got a Discord. Again, the, the link to that for future stuff is uh, in going to be in the show notes to this episode. There is a separate Discord server that he has a link to as well um, that you can join and, and keep track of what's going on there and a website. 
And other than that, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us, guys. And uh, we'll see you next time. Have a good holiday, everyone. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye.